How you feel, church family? You feel good today? Come on, man. I love it. Well, like you said, my name is David Waldrop. I'm the campus pastor, and I'm coming to you all the way uh, from Germantown, Maryland. And so what I want to do right now before we go any further is I just want to say a big hello to all of our Go Church family that's 700 miles away. Man, we love you so much. I might be here, but I love you guys. Can you let your extended church family know how much you love them? Because I'm telling you, they love you. They do, man. They come up to me all the time. Pastor David, I'm going to get down to Atlanta. I'm going to get down there. And I want to hear, you know what they love is uh, when they hear you guys saying amen in the background of, of all the messages that we get to see online. They love it. Okay. So who are the people that says amen all up in here? I, all right, cool. I'm, uh, I see you right there. All right. We're together in this thing. I love it. Hey, and uh, I also want to just say thank you so much uh, to Pastor JC uh, and Kimberly. I said a lot in the first service and I took up a lot of my preaching time. And so I, I missed my last few points here. But man, I'm so honored to hold this microphone right now. The men and women that have been on this stage uh, in the past 30 plus years of, you know, South Metro Ministries and Peachtree City Church of God has just shaped me. And so I'm just so thankful, Pastor David, letting me have an opportunity to sing on the worship team for the kids, even though I am like a God awful singer. Like, I don't know why you did that. That was a really bad lapse in judgment, but thank you for that. And Pastor Jeff, man, he was my middle school pastor growing up and now overseeing, you know, so much of what's happening here at South Metro. And then, man, just for Pastor Allen and Sister Valerie, man, I want you guys to know they have been and always will be my pastors. And are you so thankful for them? I'm I told the first service this, this microphone like stays hot because that man has preached from it before. I'm telling you, uh, it is an honor just to get to be here. And for Pastor JC and Kimberly, uh, just for trusting me to lead the people uh, all the way up in Germantown of Go Church. And man, everything I am today is because the men and women on the staff of this church have shaped me. And so I'm th so thankful. They have shaped me. And if you don't like anything I say today, it's their fault because they shaped me. So I'm a product of my race. Okay, what, what can I say? Uh, and I also, I'm not coming here alone. I brought with me my beautiful lady. Her name is Esther. It's spiritual. I know that's her real name, actually. Esther, stand up because God appointed you in my life for such a time as this. This is Esther right here. Thank you so much. She's, she's something else. She's awesome. So thank you for being here today. Again, I'm so excited uh, to be here with you today. And before we jump into the content, I want to let you know that I'll be talking through the last uh, week of this series on Ephesians. But next week, you have something pretty cool. Uh, it's a very fun series that uh, we've actually got to do before at Go Church. And it's called Ask Away. All right. And so what we want to do is set aside a few weeks uh, just to be able to answer some of your very difficult questions that you have about the Christian faith. We know that so many of you sometimes think can be confusing and the Bible can be hard to read or maybe you want to know what God's view is of a certain topic. This is your chance to submit those questions. If you've ever gone home and vented to your family, man, I wish the pastor would talk about this. Why don't we ever talk about this? Well, this is your chance to just produce what content is going to be preached about today. So uh, that's the Ask Away series. And to submit your questions, go to askawayseries.com. No question is off limits. Okay. So make sure that you submit those questions there at the Ask Away series. But what I'm going to do today is I'm going to do something very, very difficult, and I'm going to try to tackle uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to try to do it in less than 40, 35, 170 minutes. Who, who's counting, really? All right, you, you guys ain't got nowhere to be anyways. The Baptists already got their reservations at the Cracker Barrel, so you guys can be here with me as long as you want to be here, all right? But uh, we're, going to, we're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 6 today, and uh, man, it's been so difficult to just hone in on you know, one verse. I mean, you could preach an entire verse in 40 minutes about Ephesians. It's such a rich passage, but I'm going to be starting at verse 10 and you'll see it on this screen behind me here. It says this, this is Paul writing. He says, finally, so this is the end of my letter. I've come to the end. After this, this is something so important. You need to know. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Someone say, get your weight up. That's what we say, man. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Look, I, I can't go any further until I tell you this today that, man, in the modern, just Western world that we live in, I think that we like to pretend that the devil is not like a real thing, like a real person, that he's not a real being. And we just pretend that everything is just natural and happens. But I want you to know the devil is a real adversary. He's a very real opponent. And he doesn't just want to tease you and bully you a little bit. He wants to destroy you. 
He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your hope. And that's what he's after. And so he comes up with all of these different schemes uh, to make sure that you are destroyed in your faith and in your life. And even in the Greek word for devil, it literally means a liar and a slanderer. So this is who the devil is. What he does is he is so talented at singing these lies over you. He's a great singer. He was, he was the worship leader in heaven, and we don't have to, time to go into that theology, but basically, he is, he is able to sing lies over you. And I, I heard this illustration one time, and I thought it was pretty cool, uh, but those old grand pianos, you know what I'm talking about, like the really nice, elegant ones, you can open the top of them and you see all the strings. Uh, this is true. If you are to lean uh, your head into there, and no matter how good or bad of a singer you are, if you were to sing any note, uh, whatever string corresponds to the note that you're singing, it will start to vibrate just a little bit. There's something about those strings can match up with the sound of what you're singing over it. And so this is the same exact way that the enemy, that the devil schemes against you. What he does is he goes all the way, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, all over you. And once he can tell you the lie that starts to resonate with you a little bit, he's like, oh, that's that's their thing. That's, that's the thing they struggle with. Okay, well, let's just sit here for a little bit. And he just sings these lies over you over and over again. And, th- and here's, here's what some of those schemes and some of those songs sound like. We have two schemes we need to be aware of. The first one is this, is temptation. He can sing temptation over you. That song sounds a little something like this that you've played in your head before. It says, you deserve this. I know God said you shouldn't do it, but man, you work so hard. You work, nobody knows how much work you've put into this. Come on, you deserve, you deserve to indulge just a little bit in these things. A little bit won't hurt you. Come on, you deserve this. And what he convinces you to do when he sings that over you is that you have too high a view of yourself. You think that you are more powerful than the temptation, than the sin that leads to destruction, that, oh, I deserve this. I'm above this. And when he sings this over you, what he does is he wants to hide God's holiness behind his love. So he says, oh, well, God is so loving, right? It doesn't matter how you live your life. Just indulge. God is love after all, right? And so what he's doing is he's giving you the bait and he's hiding the hook. Because he doesn't want you to know that God says, be holy because I am holy. He doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to stay trapped in sin that is going to destroy you in the long run because he doesn't want you to know about God's holiness. He wants you to magnify it with just God is love and however I live, it's fine. No, it's not. And we have to be aware of that. And whenever he starts to sing that over us, we need to remind ourselves, no, it's only by God's truth. And then the second scheme is this the scheme to be aware of, of accusation. So this is the complete opposite end of the spectrum here. If this is you, it's probably because maybe you grew up in an environment or maybe even in a church or a system where you were told that you are worthless, that because you have sin, it makes you not valued whatsoever. You're a nothing. And the devil loves to pull on that string as well. And he'll say things like this, you don't deserve you don't, you don't deserve to be in that church. Those doors are going to catch on fire as soon as you walk in there. The, if those people in that building knew how bad you are, you might as well stay home today. Or you're really, you're going to go and sing that worship song after you were doing that this weekend? Come on, you're a hypocrite. You're, you're worthless. You're, you have no value whatsoever. And he wants to accuse you. And so what he does is he wants to hide God's love for you behind God's holiness. He says, look, the pastor just said, be holy because I am holy you're not holy so why even try you should just give up on the Christian faith and it's like no that's not what God wants you to know God wants you to know I'm not accusing you God we all know John 3 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life but the very next verse is for Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him so yeah the expectation is holiness but what he says is yeah God says I know you're right here but that's why I gave you my son because you get to have his righteousness and as long as you believe in him he elevates you to that standard you're not accused you're not condemned you are loved but there is an expectation and we need to live to that so we need to know the enemy is singing these songs songs of temptation if we have too high a view of ourselves songs of accusation if we want to walk around in guilt we have to be on guard against both of those 
Then Paul continues. I'm going to fly through this here. So if you guys want me to keep preaching something, just start shouting, okay? That's what, how I know you want more of it. But I'm going to keep going because i got a lot on my mind here. Uh, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. i, I got to sit here for a second. I, I really do because there is something happening in the American church today that is breaking my heart. It is Christians devouring other Christians, or even worse, Christians devouring non-Christians because of the things that they've done. And what we're doing is we're fighting against people. We think people are the enemy. We think these politicians are the enemy or that the politicians are the savior. And I got news for you. There is no one that can give you the hope the way that Jesus does. You are not at war against your neighbor. You're not at war against unbelievers. You're not at war against sinners. On the contrary, you're at war for them. You're at war for people. And this is what we got to stop doing because it's driving this preacher crazy. We need to stop fighting against the people that Jesus died for. Jesus said they were worth dying for. He didn't said they were worth fighting. Come on, we have to get to that point where we can stop wrestling, wrestling against flesh and blood because this is what's happening here. We fight with each other and the enemy's like, oh yes, they're fighting with each other. He can take a day off. We're doing all his dirty work for him. We get, he gets us to hate each other and say, oh yeah, they voted differently than you. Yeah, yeah, you should rant about him on Facebook. Yeah, 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 they see this topic a little bit differently than you. Go get them, go get them, sick them. And we do all the work for him. We were supposed to be known for our love. Do you understand that? Like when he just read from the book of Acts, that church started because they acted differently. They didn't attack each other. They didn't even attack the people that came to attack them. They showed so much love that it inspired people. This verse that we're reading, this passage we're reading is written by a guy that's writing letters to people and he has just been beaten and thrown in jail by the people he came to reach with the, with the hope of the gospel. And then on top of that, the gospel he's preaching about is about a God that despised all of the things in heaven that he was receiving and he was willing to come to earth and die for the people that were going to kill him anyways. So if either one of those guys say that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, we need to take their word for it and we need to put it into practice. That's your people sitting next to you are not your enemy. I don't care if they're a different race than you. I don't care if they're a different political affiliation than you. That is not your enemy. Quit doing the enemy's work for the enemy. I'm going to keep this going here. Keeping the passage here. Verse 12. But the struggle is against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I mean, this is, this is quite an introduction of, of the devil, of demons. Like Paul is really using a lot of adjectives here and a lot of like really proper nouns for the enemy. Why not just say your struggle is against the devil? Your struggle is against demons. I believe that he wanted to talk about this just a little bit and use all these different words because he wanted to show us how formidable of an opponent that we're up against here. Like, we're not against some cute little cartoon with the red horns. We're up against someone that, is, that has power and has power to hurt and to destroy and bring destruction. And so there's two errors we have to avoid when we see passages like this. The first thing is we cannot underestimate who we're up against. We cannot estimate. You're, you're, you're not going to outsmart him outside of the will of God. You're not going to outsmart the enemy. He's smarter than you. He knows the Bible better than you do. He knows every, everything you could possibly know about God. He knows more about it than you do. We cannot afford to underestimate the devil. I had the privilege of, of being in a room with the pastor of the second largest church in America. There's about 100 pastors in there. His name's Chris Hodges. He pastors a, a church in Birmingham, Alabama. And, and uh, some of the, one of the pastors said, well, what, what would you want any pastor to know as they're, as they're leading their church? And he said this. He said, it's more spiritual than you realize. Like, it is more spiritual. And this is a, even a spiritual gathering, but it's still, it is more spiritual than you realize. And that's not just true for churches. That's true for your family. The attacks that are coming against you, they are more spiritual than you can realize. And you cannot, you cannot fight the spiritual forces of darkness with only natural medicine. And you can't afford to do it with only these natural philosophies. There is something spiritual that has to happen because he has power that we need to know. 
Now that's the first error is underestimating, but you cannot make the error to overestimate how powerful he is either because he doesn't want you to remember this fact, but 2018 years ago, he was defeated. Like it wasn't even close. It wasn't like a boxing match. No, it was like a one punch knockout. He was defeated and you have that power through Christ. Only through Christ you are given that power. You got to know that, see, the enemy wants to make you think and the world wants you to think that, that God and Satan are like duking it out over and over and sometimes the enemy wins and sometimes God. No, the enemy is no more of a rival to God than a nail is to a hammer. It is, it's not a rivalry, okay? It's kind of like how Georgia Tech's going to be to UGA this year. It's not even going to be close. We're going to dominate you guys. It's the same thing. Maybe not. They've, they've gotten the best of us, gotten the flesh there a little bit. Sorry, Pastor JC. But I'm telling you, it's not a rivalry. And you need to know you have access to the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. If you want a moment to shout, that's the moment to shout right there. See, because we, we, we give the enemy way too much credit for things and destruction that we cause. You, you know that, right? Like sometimes we overestimate him and we give him way too much credit. Like we blame him for everything and sometimes that destruction's on us. Like, like the devil didn't cause you to lose your car. You just didn't make the car payments, okay? That, that's not an attack from the devil. You need, to, you need to make the payments, okay? It has to be done. The, the devil didn't cause you to lose your job. You showed up late for work three weeks straight, okay? That's, that's not behavior that's gonna keep a job. I would fire you too, okay? Like that would happen. The, the, another thing here, the devil didn't cause you to flunk out of school. He didn't cause you to fail. It ain't the teacher's fault. You didn't do the homework. If you don't do it, you need to own your part in this. Everything's not from the devil. We need to take ownership of some of the things that we cause. He continues and he says this, therefore, so he's introduced us a long introduction to who we're up against. And then he says, but don't worry, put on the full armor of God, put on the full armor. Don't leave any weakness there, but he says, put it on. Putting on something is a very intentional action. Like you didn't just roll out of bed into your clothes. Like it wasn't, oh, I accidentally got dressed this morning. No, it was, it was very intentional. And, and some of you, you spent hours and you, you stayed up for like a couple hours making sure the earrings match the buckle on the shoes because it, it, it corresponds well with the belt that you're wearing. You, you thought this thing through, okay? And that's what we do. When we put something on, we're thinking it through. You know, I, I entered into this relationship with Esther about a year and a half ago and uh, it took about three or four months in for her to work up the courage to let me know that all of my wardrobe was no longer cool enough anymore. Um, apparently, uh, I was under the impression that after, at that point, 26 years of living that I knew how to dress myself, but she made me very aware that I didn't. And so now we had to get a new rule that every time I want to buy something, she has to approve of it. And I'm okay with that. Okay. Because apparently there was a battle for relevance and I was losing. So how am I doing today though? Right. You like this girl? That's for you. All right. So she gets to look forward to this every day. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is all it, but we have to be so intentional about what we're wearing. And I feel like for so many of us, we're losing the fight, we're losing the battle because we're so unaware of what we need to wear. You sit here and you think that dressing in your Sunday best and wearing your most beautiful outfits, coming to church and just sitting in the pews, taking up space, that that's gonna win your battles and it's not. What you wear on the outside has nothing to do with winning on the inside, that internal battle for your soul. You need the full armor of God. And you don't just need to put it on, but he keeps going. He says this, put it on so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, look, he, he wants you to know this. This is what Paul reiterated. And I love it. He said, when the day of evil comes, put on the armor so that when it comes, in other words, you should be wearing it before you walk into the battle. Because, but this is, this is our problem here. This is what we're doing. Don't wait until you're in the fight to start to prepare for the fight. 
if you wait until you're in it and it's like someone comes and attacks you, it's like, oh, where's my helmet? Oh man, where, where's my sword? Where, where are all these? It's too late. You're not ready for it. Every morning when you get up, you should be, man, God, guard my thoughts, guard my heart. Let I walk in the steps that you would have me go, Lord. Let me, let me crush down any attack with the word of your spirit. Come on. I want to be ready for a fight before it comes because if you're already in the fight without the armor, it's too late. It is too late. We've got to be prepared before the fight even comes. If you stay prepared, you don't have to get prepared. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Let's keep it moving here. Y'all preaching with me. I like that, man. This is a fun crowd here. Verse 14, stand firm then. Stand firm. Again, this is something the Lord just showed me, but I think, I think too often we take this stand as like a metaphorical thing. I think sometimes he literally wants us to stand. Maybe even some of our church services, we need to stand when the worship is going on. We need to stand when we feel something. We need to take a stand. There's something supernatural about that. Stand up. Take a stand with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. As a, uh, as a slender man, uh, I appreciate a good belt, okay? To be honest, um, these pants were not, thank you for letting me borrow your skinny jeans, Pastor JC, by the way, I really appreciate that. But uh, these, this, these pants would not be on me right now if I was not wearing a belt. As a slender man, I, I can appreciate a good belt. Uh, in fact, when I was, when I was in middle school, uh, at East Coweta Middle School, any, any EC fans out here, any EC people? I love it. You're my people. I like it. Uh, when I was in middle school in seventh grade, I actually made uh, the basketball team. I don't know how. Uh, I was the smallest kid on the team. I looked like I was the, the people on the team's child. Like, I mean, I, I was so tiny, man. It, and so this is what happened. Uh, I didn't tell the first service this, but you guys get some, some more inside information. They actually didn't have any shorts that fit me. Okay, this is actually really sad. I'm kind of embarrassed about this. And so they had... Y'all ain't gonna judge me, right? Y'all don't tell anybody. This stays in here, all right? If you're online, turn away from the screen for a second here. They didn't have any, any shorts to fit me, so they had to take one from some of the girls' uniforms and give them to me. <laughs> Why y'all laughing, man? I, I thought this was a safe place here. Come on, man. So, but the problem was uh, if I, when I tried to play my first game wearing the shorts that they gave me and I was having to hold my pants up the whole game and it made me very ineffective as a basketball player, not to mention I'm white and short, but on top of that, I'm having to hold my pants up the whole time. It, it just wasn't working for me. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. And it's because I needed a belt. I needed something to hold me up. But, but I think this is what we do. And I think this is why Paul said this is because you walk around and you're believing lies about yourself or you're telling yourself lies. And what's happening is you're having to hold everything up and you're fighting every battle one handed because you're walking into war, holding yourself up and saying, no, I don't want them to find out about this. I, I gotta, I, I can't believe this. I don't want them to know this about me. And you just want everyone to believe the lie that you believe about yourself. When what Paul is saying is, no, put on the belt of truth. Let the truth, this is what, this is what Jesus says in his word, the truth will set you free. So the belt of truth says, you know what? I'm free now. Like, let's go. I got both hands now. I'm coming in this battle. I'm not trying to hold up any lies. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. I'm not great, but I know who I am is. Yahweh means I am. So I'm not great, but I know I am. I'm not, but I know I am. That's something we can say. Throw on that belt of truth. You don't have to be perfect. You just got to point to a perfect God. So when they come at you and say, yeah, I'm not perfect, but guess what? What's true about me is that God loved me enough. He put the price tag on me. The world ain't going to do it. My sin doesn't do it. Jesus put the price tag on me. He says I'm valuable. And that's the truth that you can walk in into this next season. Then he keeps going here. He ain't done. Then he wants you to stand with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate guards one of the most important organs you have, and that's your heart. A, a blow to the, to the knees might, might take you down, and you know maybe a broken arm could hurt you, but man, an arrow to the heart, a, a wound to the heart, that could kill you. That could kill you. Your heart is so valuable, and it's so valuable. This is, this is what Paul said in a different letter he wrote or I'm sorry, this is what Solomon wrote. He said this, above all else, but if you don't guard anything else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. 
guard your heart because everything you do, you ever, you ever do something just so foolish, you know, or, or you just spaz out or you say something so mean and you're like, oh my gosh, or, or you just freak out on your kids. Like they do something wrong, but you know, you went way overboard and you say to yourself, man, where did that come from? Like, where did that come from? It, it came from your heart. What, what has been inside you is, is coming out. This is why we have to guard our heart because what the enemy wants is he wants pride to get into your heart. He wants jealousy in your heart. He wants guilt in your heart. He wants greed in your heart. He wants you to be so self-absorbed that you become so toxic in your heart that it's the attack that keeps on attacking because if he can get your heart, your heart, then you start attacking other people and you can become so hard-hearted that you don't even realize you have so much toxicity in you. He says, no, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Your mama and daddy raised you to know right from wrong. And every decision you make, you have a decision. You can get closer to sin or you can get closer to God. The way of God is righteousness. And so when you're faced with a decision to say, okay, this might be, you know, justifiable. So maybe I should do this. No, do what is just, do what is right, do what is just, not what you can justify. Justifying things. If you're in a position where you have to justify, something, it's probably not something you should be doing. You, you don't have to justify doing the right thing. You don't have to convince your parents, well, I was walking the old lady across the street because I don't, no, they're not going to be on you about that. But they are going to say, well, well, why are you coming in at 1, 1 a.m.? You know, what, what are you doing? You don't have to justify doing the right thing. You will always have to justify doing the wrong thing. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Guard your heart because everything you do, it's not anyone else's fault but your own. You can't control what they do to you, but you sure can control what you do. So guard your heart for anything that says pride, lust, envy, greed, all of those things. We need to guard our hearts from that. Is, is this okay? Is this helping anybody today? Okay, good. Let's, let's keep this thing going here. The next passage in verse 15, he says this, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of, of peace. There's, there's a great movie out there. Um, Lieutenant Dan told Forrest Gump this, okay? He shows up in Vietnam and Lieutenant Dan tells Forrest Gump, he said, there's one thing you better do. He's like, if you don't do anything else, you better do this. You better keep your feet clean. And it's kind of like, what? What's going on? He's like, you better change your socks every day. You better make sure your shoes are, are okay and good shape. Because this is, this is why a warrior is only able to carry out the orders as far as his feet will take him. And so if his feet are gross, if his feet are, are hurting or wounded, then he's not going to be able to carry out the orders. And this is why Paul is saying your feet need to be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, because what you will do without the gospel of peace is you're going to run all over the world looking for peace in every situation. And you're going to try to squeeze peace out of people. And that's why every relationship you enter, it fails because you're trying to squeeze something out of that person. Every job that you stay at, you want peace there, but, but you can't find it there and you're squeezing it and you're finding, you're looking for peace from a place that can only come from the giver of peace himself. This is what his peace does. And I'm going to be honest with you. This has been something that has been revolutionary for me. This is how you can put on the gospel of peace. Someone gave me this advice one day when I was just venting about how hard it is. We've all been there where it's like, man, it's just hard. I can't do this, you know, and, and I'm just venting about it. And they say this, and it, it seemed like it was offensive at first, but they said, David, you are not that important. And, and they told me that. And I was like, who, who do you think you are? <laughs> who do you think you are? Tell me I'm not important. I'm the campus pastor of a thriving mega church. You know, like I'm just, I'm just going on people and I'm like, I am important. And they're like, no, you're not. And, this, and, and it set me free. They didn't say I wasn't valuable because I, I, I am, val you're valuable to the kingdom. But what they were making me aware of is that God had this thing figured out a long time before I got here and he's got it figured out with or without me. And you need to know this. If you want to put on peace, you need to know it's not all hanging on you. God's will is going to be done with or without you. He doesn't need you. Now, in order for you to participate in his will, you need to be obedient to him and walk in that, but it is not hanging on the balance of you. So take that guilt off. Okay, take that guilt off. Everyone has to work out their own salvation. You're not holding everything together. 
You're, you're not. I'm not holding Go Church together. Pastor JC and Pastor Allen, they haven't been holding South Metro Ministries together. God holds it all together. We just get to play roles. So put the peace on. Put those peace on your feet. Quit walking around and say, you know what? This is where I am. I'm going to carry out the orders, and God gives me this opportunity. So that's what I'm going to be all about. Keeping it going here. Verse 16. In addition to all this, take up a shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Without a shield, a warrior is only as safe as the amount of arrows coming his way. So if he's walking through a valley where no one's shooting arrows at him, he's fine. He can do hand-to-hand combat without a shield. You can, you can do that. And that's how it is for us. Sometimes there's not going to be attacks on us. Sometimes everything is okay. But we need a shield because God never promised us that the world wasn't going to fire arrows at us and that the enemy wasn't going to attack our circumstances. He never said that you're going to go through life without having any attacks walking. But what he did say is, no, I'm going to give you a shield. So then when it all comes crashing down, when it looks tough, when, when the kid is diagnosed with this sickness, when, when the marriage seems like it's over, when, when you don't know where the next paycheck is going to come, you get to hold up a shield of faith. This is what that faith is, Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That is the faith that we can have. We can say, yeah, this is hard and there is a lot of arrows coming my way, but I'm going to block that because you're trying to steal my faith right now and it ain't going to happen. You're not going to steal my joy right now. It's going to hurt and I'm going to feel sorrow. I'm going to feel pain, but God has given me this assurance that everything's for my good. So if I've got to walk through this, it must be because God is stretching me. It must be because God wants me to be equipped. He has a reason for this and he has not abandoned me in it. He didn't say there wouldn't be arrows shot at me. He said, I would have something to defend myself from them. And that is what the shield of faith does. You got to hold up your faith. You got to hold up your faith. Don't give it up. The, the enemy wants you to think that how could a loving God allow that to happen to you? Like if God loved you, how, how could he allow that to happen to you? First of all, he's the one pulling the arrows. He's the one doing it, not God. But second of all, God is not someone that's going to say, yeah, you got to figure it out. I don't know. You just got to figure it out. No, he says, no, throw up your faith. Throw up your faith. There's nothing you're walking through on this earth that Jesus didn't experience himself. You feel, you feel betrayed? How about Jesus? He invested in Judas his whole life. How, you you want to know about pain? How about, how about being beaten by the people that you came to save? Come on. There is, you want to know what ultimate pain is? L- losing a child? You don't think God can sympathize with that as he watched his only son on a cross? But he said, no, I know that everything is going to work together for my good. So if you want to know where peace is going to come from your situation, it's going to come from your faith. If you want to trust anyone with a good plan, why not trust the guy that can see time in his hands, where he can see a thousand years ago, right now, and a thousand years from now, at the same time, his plan is so much better than yours because it's more developed. You don't even know what you're going to wear tomorrow. He has already seen the end of time itself. He's got a plan. Hold up that shield of faith because that enemy wants to steal that plan from you. That's why the shield is there. That is a reason to celebrate today. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation, much like the heart, the head, a wound to the head can can be fatal. It, It can be fatal. And, and this is why we need to be guarded spiritually with a helmet of salvation. How do we put on a helmet of salvation? What, is that, what does that even do? Well, salvation should change us. It, it, it should do something differently. Look, look at scripture. Look all throughout, anyone throughout history that ever came face to face with God or with Jesus Christ himself, they were never the same. In fact, they became almost unrecognizable to the people around them. Something should change when you receive the salvation that Jesus brings. Someone should be able to see the visible difference. In fact, this is what Paul told the Romans. He said this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You need to put on the helmet of salvation by renewing your mind and thinking differently. And then the best thing about 
about it is your head controls the direction that you're walking. No one walks like this. That's just, that's weird. Unless you're on the runway, that's just weird. No one, no one would do that. Your head controls the direction that you go. And so because of that, when your mind gets renewed with salvation, you start to walk in the direction of salvation. And guess where that lands you? Right smack dab in the middle of God's will. The only way you're going to know what God's will is for your life is if your mind gets renewed, if you put on that helmet of salvation. But the enemy doesn't want you to think like a saved person. Like I said, he's got schemes and he's scheming you. And the world perpetuates these schemes. I'm talking, you are going to see it all over MTV, every award show. This is the, the first scheme, and we're going to compare it what to what God says to these schemes. But the first scheme is this. I'll know it's right if it makes me happy. The, the world wants you to think this way. And the enemy wants you to think this way because he'll put you things like this. Well, after all, God wants you to be happy, right? Here's the thing. Maybe, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But we need to all be willing to say right now, we made that up. Like, that's completely made up that God wants us to be happy. Like, that is nowhere to be found in Scripture that's, that where Jesus says, Thus I say unto you, please make yourself happy. I'm really concerned about your happiness. That's my ultimate reason. I can, no, he didn't come to entertain us. He didn't, came to make you, he didn't come to make you happy. If, you'll know, if this is how you live your life, I'll know it's right if it makes me happy. The problem with that is that truth and safety and obedience can be carried out by your feelings and your emotions. You, you change your mind every day about what you want. You prayed that God would let you marry that guy when you were living, you know, when you were in high school. And then you look at him 30 years later, you're like, thank you, Jesus. Like that is, that could have been a nightmare. Like my goodness. Since when does anybody, come on. I mean, be, be real. Since when does anybody know what they want? Since when does anybody know what's going to make them happy? The things that make you happy today, they're not going to make you happy tomorrow. But the enemy wants the truth to be carried out with your feelings because your feelings are so fleeting. And this is what he says. Just, just chase happiness. And around every corner that he chases you, he's just dragging the carrot. He's like, yeah, yeah, your happiness is here. And then you turn a corner and, oh, it wasn't there. It wasn't in graduating. Oh, it, it wasn't in marrying that guy. Once God sent you a boo, you, you thought that was going to be the answer. And, and it wasn't. And so then you needed the promotion. And man, happiness didn't come from there either. No, happiness doesn't come that way. That's a scheme. This keep you searching for something that God's already given you. So instead, I'll know it's right if God's word says so. He knows more than you, okay? He does. And all he's saying is, look, I'm telling you, I can't promise you that life is going to be easy. Life is full of enough painful flaming arrows coming our way. We don't need to add some more of our own. And that's what sin does. If you break down every sin in the Bible, you will see this, that sin, if you do more of it, anytime you have more of sin, things start to unravel. So yeah, when you moderate it, sure, everything can be fine. But if you have more of it, the more you indulge, the more destructive it can become. But God says, no, I've come to free you from that. I want you to live my way. Following Jesus can make your life better by making you better at life. You get better at life by following Jesus. You avoid so many mistakes, so many painful heartaches. And that's just a scheme from the enemy. Another one is this. If only I had blank, then I'd be satisfied. I, I kind of covered this one as well. If only I had my degree, you know, if only I had another job, if only I had a husband, if only I had a wife, if, if only I had a kid, if only I could, if only I could get my kids out of the house, you know, if only, if only I could get them married and having me some grandkids, then I, no, come on. Satisfaction doesn't come from that. It comes from what salvation says, which is Christ is all I need and everything else is just a bonus. How much different, okay, just, just be real with me. I know I'm not preaching and shouting real loud. Next week, you guys will get all that, okay? But, but I, I want, let's be real for a second. How much different would your life be if you really believed this? How much less stress would you really have? I have to remind myself this every day. Man, church is hard. Man, it's so hard, Pastor JC. Like, man, people just, people hurt, man. People, people hurt you. People are hurting. It's just, it's just hard. But if I really believe this, Christ is all I need and everything else is just a bonus. I mean, you don't have to be worried about where that money's going to come from because Christ is all you need. Christ, that money can, trust me, that money can get in the way anyways. You, you don't need, that, you don't need that, that husband or that wife. No one wants to marry. Oh man, I feel the Lord telling me this one here. The Bible says that he that finds a wife finds a good thing. 
okay? You find a wife. That means that whenever you found her, she was already a wife. She was already married to Jesus himself. She was already with him. No one wants to marry half a person. That's not how it works. That's not appealing to me. When I was looking for my wife, I wasn't looking for half a person. I want to I wanna find a wife. Come on, don't be looking for something. This is all you need right here. Christ is all you need. You get to have a family. You get to have money. You get to have a car. You get to sit in air-conditioned padded seats as you listen to this somewhat decent preacher bring you a word today. Everything else is just a bonus. So don't stress. So don't stress. If, you, if I'm not telling this to anyone else, I'm telling it to myself. Don't, don't stress. Everything's going to be okay. The last scheme that I want to tell you about is this. My secret will be safe with me. My secret will be safe with me. That's a scheme. That's the enemy wanting you to hide something. That's like, that's like having this, this, this destructive cancer in your spiritual body, this secret that you don't want anyone to find out, and it's eating you alive. It's eating away your joy. It's eating away your purpose, and you can't, you can't figure out what the problem is. The problem is because you haven't told anybody. You haven't told anybody. My secret will be safe with me is a lie. Your secret will be settled once and for all with accountability. You need people in your life that aren't just going to pat you on the back and tell you you're doing a great job. You need people who are going to say, no, bro, that was messed up. You shouldn't be doing that, man. Don't talk to your kids that way. That's your child. That's a gift from God. Don't talk to them that way. Come on, you don't need that stuff. Man, God is enough. You don't, you don't need those drugs. Put the prescription away. Come on. You need people in that. So join a group. Join a group. In September, you're going to hear more about groups coming up. I want you to join a small group. Yeah, coming together to worship as a body is amazing, and I, I love it. But it doesn't stop there. You need to get in a group. You need accountability. I have nothing to gain by telling you that. We don't make more money because you're in a group, but you get more freedom when you walk through a group. So make sure that you do that. Verse 17 here. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, all the other armor we've had up to this point is all defensive. All right, we're, we're backing up. We need a helmet to defend ourselves. We need a shield to defend ourselves. But finally, God's saying, okay, once you, once you know how to stand, all right, now I'm going to give you something else. I'm going to give you a weapon. You get to wield something that is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide bone and marrow. I'm talking this thing is powerful and it is God's word. Okay? If God is a real being that really exists, he really is eternal, he's really listening to this conversation right now, then if he gave us a word, if he gave us the Bible, you better believe that thing is powerful. You better believe that thing is so powerful. And it can do two things. One is the obvious one. It can strike down any lies that the enemy attacks you with. Look at what Jesus did when he was tempted in the desert. Three different times the enemy tried to attack him. And I wish I could go into that. It was in my notes. I had to edit it out. So come talk to me in the hallway and I'll give you those notes as well. But the, the, Jesus quoted scripture all three times. He used scripture to cut down and say, that's a lie. That ain't how God is. God loves me despite my sin. God's not accusing me. God wants me to be in relationship with him. All of these different things. But it not only cuts down the enemy, but it's also sharp enough to turn towards us. Here's what we have in us. We all have this sinful nature. I'm not trying to be offensive. I have it too. I struggle with it too. And the word is sharp enough to remove that from our lives. I heard Joyce Meyer say this one. I love listening to her. She gets me fired up. She's a little country girl, ain't she? But she preaches that stuff. She said this one time. She's like, worship is like the anesthesia right before surgery. You just come in there and you get the good feeling. It's like, yeah. And then the sermon and the word comes in and it's like the scalpel. And it gets in there and it removes the things that need to be removed. And that's sometimes what, more times than not, that's what our job is as we come up here and hold this microphone every week to you guys and to go church 700 miles away is, we got to tell you that there's some things you need to remove. It wasn't my idea. This is God's word. This is what he says. We've got some things that are destroying us spiritually that you need to use the sword of the spirit to cut away some of those things that are inhibiting your growth. We need that. Then the very last one, and then I'm done. And pray, man, and pray in the spirit on all occasions, on all, someone say all occasions on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people you got to pray 
I, I said this a second ago, but it's, it's more spiritual than you realize. It is. It's so much more spiritual. Yeah, counseling is good, and we, we value counseling. Come on. There is something that changes when we pray. Prayer changes things. And, and you might say, well, Pastor David, I, ain't, I have never prayed before. I, I'm a new believer. I don't even really believe in God yet. How, how do I even pray? Like, I feel like I sound stupid. Like, I don't, my prayers don't sound as good as Pastor JC's. You know, my, my prayers don't sound as good as the people in my small group. Listen, God doesn't care about how good or bad your prayers are. There's no such thing. There's genuine or not genuine. That's all that God cares about. Parents, when, when your child was born, all right, and they became one or two years old, and they started for the first time saying, Mama, Mama, you, you didn't go, it's mother, dummy, mother. Say it right or I disown you. You, you, don't, you don't do that. No one, no one does it. What? You were excited that your child finally knows your name. They recognize your voice. They recognize your face and they're calling out to you. And yeah, it sounds like baby talk because that's all they know. That's the way that God sees your prayer life right now. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to use King James English. It just needs to be real. He just wants to hear your voice. But if you do need help with the practical side of things, <laughs> that, was a, that was a hard shift, wasn't it? Like, yeah, this is a spiritual, yeah, it's practical here. here. Here's one model. Again, not a right or wrong way to pray. I'm not telling you this is required to pray, but this can help you. This can help. It's called the ACTS model of prayer, A-C-T-S. The first one is adoration. This is just telling God how great he is. We don't do this enough. We don't do it enough. Like, I love what, what David Virgo, as he was saying, sometimes we let the band do it. You know what that's like when we only worship God while the worship music is playing? That would be like you communicating to your wife with a Hallmark card every time you wanted to talk to her. When we worship together, that's giving God a card. That's something to be special. That's something special. But we need to just tell him in our own way because he wants to hear just you talk to him. Someone else wrote the words, what a beautiful name it is, what a beautiful name it is. Someone else wrote those words, valuable, true, keep singing them but you should tell them your own song. How much more romantic is that? Husbands, write your wife a song. My God, she will love that. I'm telling you, adoration, give them adoration. And then confess, we talked about this thing. You got some stuff living in you, remove it, remove it. It's as simple as, as soon as you confess it with a repentant heart, it's gone. Confession, confess. T, thanksgiving, give him thanks. Here's a, here's a thought for you that'll blow your mind like, the, like it did mine 10 years ago when I heard it. What if you only woke up today with the things that you thanked God for yesterday? What would you have? Traveling mercies, whatever that even means, right? Your food would be blessed, okay? You'd have good night's sleep, but you wouldn't have a job. You wouldn't have a car. You wouldn't have your kids. You wouldn't have AC. You wouldn't have the money in the bank account. You wouldn't have those plans coming up where you get to get out of town. Come on, all of those things that you have we're coming straight from God. You should tell him thank you. You should tell him thank you. And then S is supplication. This is a fancy word for just the things you want God to do, the things you're asking him for. I do want you to notice that this is not first. We put it last for a reason. God knows what you want. He wants you to ask him. But why don't you tell him how great he is, how, how much you need forgiveness, how, how thankful you are for him, and then tell him what you need. That's a great way. Kids, you want an iPhone from your parents? Go in this order. Mom, you're the best mom ever. I know I mess up sometimes, but I sure am grateful for you. Could I have a phone, please? I'm telling you, that'll work. Lord just gave me that one. I'm setting some middle schoolers out with the iPhones. <laughs> I love it. This is what prayer is. I want to go through these. Can I take three more minutes, Pastor JC? Here's what true prayer is like. True prayer isn't about getting our way. It's about surrendering our will. God is not your vending machine. He is not your genie in a bottle. God is the creator of the universe. And if you really believe that, then his way is better than yours. So he is still a good God, even though he answered the prayer differently than you thought he should. He is a loving God. Don't listen when the world says that. God is answering. But if you actually want his will, do what Jesus did. Jesus said, God, this is what I want. Please take this cup for me. I don't want to go through this. If there's any other way, but not my will, but your will. This is what I want, but I will put mine second to yours. I would love for these to line up. I would love for these to line up, but that's what true prayer is. It's not about getting your way. It's about surrendering your will. Another thing about true prayer, it isn't just about asking for stuff. It's about trusting God with the result. 
It's not just about asking for stuff. Asking is, is you're, you're just asking. And it's so dependent on, well, if you actually love me, you'll give me what I'm asking for. No, it's, it's not just asking, but it's trusting to say, look, this is what I want. But if I don't get it, I'm okay with that. Because this is, this is how we approach God sometimes, isn't it? We come up to God and we say, this is what I need. This is what I need. And I feel like what God would respond to that with is, now that's not what you need. I'm what you need. You need me. You don't need that. You don't need that. I can give you anything. Don't just ask for stuff. Trust him with the result. The last thing is this. True prayer reminds us that we are not in control and it keeps us close to the one who is. That one is worth shouting about. True prayer reminds us we're not in control. You need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. You are not in control. You don't have it all together. And even if you did, you're going to lose it soon anyways. You don't need control. You don't even want control. I'm telling you, it's not worth it. Control is overrated. You're not in control. But not only does it remind you that you're not, but it puts you in proximity to the creator of the stinking universe, man. Like that is, that's amazing. You get to draw near to God when you pray to him. Uh, people, people say this all the time. They say, man, I, I, God's not speaking to me. God doesn't speak to me. Well, he, he is, okay? Think of it like this. If you want to listen to the music that's coming on J93.3 right now, it's playing right now. It is. Whether you're tuned into it or not, you have to tune your dial to receive what's playing on that transmission. And it's the same way with prayer. God is speaking. He is hovering over the world. His songs are always singing over you. And when you tune in to what he's singing, everything changes. And prayer is how you tune in to the God of the universe.